This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. I speak of the enchanting mind as, as, a, as, a, as a surprise, uh, as one of the surprising gifts of constant searching, constant experience, constant going forward. You know, it, it, it springs itself upon you when you least expect it. It happens when you're reading a, a book that you at first maybe probably don't like that much or find very difficult. Suddenly you get your spirit, your mind, your deeper mind gets the hang of it and you forget that you're reading. Um, it happens in conversations with friends. For some people it happens in meditation. Sometimes, often, for me it happens in the midst of writing. Um, I'm having great difficulty writing a passage. I keep going and I keep going and just when I think I'm really exhausted and I can't go any further, suddenly this magic happens and I disappear and the problem disappears and the universe disappears. And when I come out of that state, the perfect accomplishment of what I sought kind of lies there before me on the page. Reading, like writing, is a creative act. If readers only bring a narrow range of themselves to the book, then they'll only see their narrow range reflected in it. The insightful words of Nigerian poet and novelist Ben Okri. Hello, it's Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill, and you're very welcome to today's show. What makes reality itself and is magic a state of mind? Well, on this week's show, we're going to go a bit numinous, a bit reflective, and look at some of the big questions and ideas on life. Booker Prize winning author Ben Ockrey talks alchemy, African reality and his journey into the wild and the sublime. And in keeping with the theme of raw magic, we walk the hills of Ireland and Greece with renowned travel writer and walker Christopher Somerville, author of The Road to Roaring Water, Walking in Ireland and Britain and Ireland's Best Wild Places. This is a show about dreams and possibilities, fearless living and the literary imagination. But first, the enchanted mind of Ben Ockrey. Ben Ockrey has been described as a literary visionary and is considered one of Africa's finest living writers. Born in 1959 in the city of Minna in West Central Nigeria, Ben spent his early years in London before returning with his parents, Grace and Silver, to Nigeria, where he witnessed the devastating political violence of the Biafran War. Ben's mum was half Igbo and his father came from the Horobo people. He later said, At that time, you don't know what you're seeing. It's too monstrous, but the image is fixed. I'm crammed full of the painful things I witnessed. His work is heavily influenced by Nigerian mythology and its oral traditions. He believes loss is an inextricable part of the human condition. In the early 1970s, Ben won a scholarship from the Nigerian government to study comparative literature at Essex University, though things did not go so smoothly. After a year or so, his university grant dried up and he found himself suddenly homeless on the streets of London, sleeping on the tubes. It was when he was at rock bottom he made a pact with himself not to give up and to keep on writing. He says, when you have nothing, no money, no friends, but at the edge of the abyss, you find you've a choice, that life isn't a given, it's a choosing. Anyway, this resolution paid off. A 
At just 21, Ben published his first novel, Flowers and Shadows, and by the age of 32, Ockery was awarded the prestigious Booker Prize for Fiction for his third novel, The Famished Road. Incidentally, on the 1991 shortlist was William Trevor's Reading Turgenev, Roddy Doyle's Devan, and British novelist Martin and Me for Time's Arrow. Ben is Vice President of the English Centre of International Pen and was awarded an OBE in 2001. Ben believes poetry is a great river of soul murmuring that runs within humanity and he sees true literature as the encounter of possibilities that tears up the script of what we think humanity to be. His latest book of poetry is entitled Wild. Other notable poetry books include A Time for New Dreams and Mental Fight, an anti-spell to the 21st century. His essays include A Time for Dreams, A Way of Being Free and Birds of Heaven. Ben lives what he describes as a quiet life in London with his partner, Rosemary Clooney, a painter and video artist. Well, Ben and I spent a lovely afternoon in Bantry following his inspirational poetry evening at the West Cork Literary Festival. Ben and I talked about the mysteries and magic in life. So it's a curious thing that uh, people always look for the magic outside. They always think that the magic can be found in certain tricks, certain recipes for living, certain methods. Um, it's always, we always look outside for these things. And to some extent, the, uh, the illusion of magic, which we often take for magic, is, um, can be seen um, outside of us. But I think the real home, the real source of magic is, is, is in us. It's in, our, it's in our state of mind, our state of consciousness, uh, a kind of um, extraordinary attitude, better still even, the right attitude with which we view the world. It's a, a curious thing about, about reality that um, it tends to organize itself, not always, but mostly, it tends to shape itself in accordance with the depth and truth of what's in one's consciousness. So there's a way in which one can say that magic of, 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 of art, of the creation of art, is something that comes from the, um, the, the, the constantly creative, constantly searching, constantly um, um, enchanted mind. For me, there's, there's no greater search for the real mysteries um, of life than, than, than within us. A great deal of my writing has been an investigation of the relationship between the, the world as we see it and the world as it is. In short, the very fabric of what makes reality itself. And I think uh, true creativity investigates this fabric and uses it to constantly bring into existence previously non-existent things. In short, true creativity, taking into account the truth of the nature of reality, is what, as it were, creates what we perceive of as magic. You said a beautiful expression there. You said the enchanted mind. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, the enchanted mind is um, it's not, it's not a, I don't think it's something that can be planned to be achieved. I don't think there's a, like there's a recipe for, 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 for making cream cakes. I don't think there's a, a recipe for the enchanted mind as such. I think it is something that comes upon us as a byproduct of something else. I think it comes upon us as a, as a surprise. It comes upon us unawares. Now, I went, I went sailing um, the other day on, on the Bantry, on Bantry Bay. Some friends took me sailing, and it was my first experience sailing like that for, for a long time. In fact, if, if, if not completely. Uh, the, the sea, the, 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 the water was rough, uh, there was a, the strong winds and I had moments of extreme but contained nervousness. But then somewhere in the midst of all of that, after I'd got past the initial anxieties, somewhere in the midst of all of that, I suddenly became aware of the fact of how magical it was that here I was on, on sea. Um, the sky was clear again. 
And I felt a kind of wonderful unity with the, the sea, the air, and, and, and my companions. And that, for me, is an example of, 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 of a moment of the enchanted mind. In that, in that state, I could have done anything. I could have written anything absolutely beautifully if I set my mind to it. In that state, it seemed to me that almost anything was possible because it was a state of, of purity, a state of, of harmony, a state of groundedness, even though I was on sea. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have come upon that state if I hadn't gone through what I'd gone through before. So in a strange kind of way, it's, uh, I, you know, I, I speak of the enchanting mind as, as, a, as, a, as a surprise, uh, as one of the surprising gifts of, of constant searching, constant experience, constant going forward. You know, it, it, it springs itself upon you when you least expect it. It happens when you're reading a, a book that you at first maybe probably don't like that much or find very difficult. Suddenly you get your spirit, your mind, your deeper mind gets the hang of it and you forget that you're reading. Um, it happens in conversations with friends. Um, for some people it happens in meditation. Sometimes, often, for me it happens in the midst of writing. Um, I'm having great difficulty writing a passage. I keep going and I keep going. And just when I think I'm really exhausted and I can't go any further, suddenly this magic happens and I disappear and the problem disappears and the universe disappears. And when I come out of that state, the perfect accomplishment of what I sought kind of lies there before me on the page. So uh, there's, there's no recipe for the enchanted mind except to continue the pursuit of what you love, to embrace the, 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 the difficulties of things, to, to have the courage to leap to go forward, to leap when you have to, to take small, steady steps, if you must. But to go forward in a, in a direction of, 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 of some kind of beauty to your spirit, something you love, something that, that makes you come alive and uh, brings to you a sense of the four, four or five dimensional possibilities of, of, of experience. Do you think writing poetry takes courage? It certainly lifts readers and is arguably therapeutic. But do you think the actual writing of poetry itself takes a huge amount, a leap of faith? Yes, I do. I think it takes great courage and great simplicity at the same time and there, there, there are many reasons for it I think to, to, to write poetry first of all implies a certain attitude that you have about the world a certain, a certain angle that you have with, with experience and with reality it implies a certain, a certain obliqueness in the way in which you approach life and that means also in a way that you'll be at a, at a tangent to society and to reality, to your friends your, 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 your relations your loved ones, you'll be at a tangent to the way in which we're taught that the world should be and the way that society should be and the way that we should be in society. So already you're kind of a little bit odd, you're a little bit what seems like being off-key. To continue in that state and then to give that state some kind of aesthetic validation by taking up the pen to write poetry already is a, is a, is a great act of courage or a great act of stupidity or, or both at the same time. Or a great act of living. Living is sometimes a wonderful mixture of courage and stupidity. <laughs> and within the writing of poetry, how much would you say that the rich storytelling of Africa and the spoken word has influenced your approach to writing poetry, or has it at all? It's very hard to say about these things, to be honest with you. Um, um, I, I feel that the, the, my African experience, my African roots, um, has had a, an intangible but uh, significant uh, impact on the way I write. And I would say it's because um, I don't want to generalize. It's very dangerous to do these things, but, you know, we must attempt uh, some kind of um, analysis. I would say that there's something about African reality that is um, essentially poetic and essentially storytelling, essentially tilted to, 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 to the poetic and, and, and to storytelling. And, and there are many reasons for that. I think, first of all, it's, it's the land itself. Apart from places where, you know, the, the, the land is, has been impoverished, um, on the whole, 
the, the, the soil of the earth of Africa is extraordinarily fertile. As kind of a, I speak of it as having a kind of a terrifying fertility. I remember growing up with tables. Um, a table in the living room would just sort of sprout in the heat. Um, it's that kind of fertility where everything wants to give give birth to more life. So I have everything, everything. Growing up, I, I remember everything being impregnated with, with, with story, impregnated with possibility. Um, I've spoken of a, a stone that you see by the side of the road or an egg that you see on a branch or somebody who will suddenly look at you in a, in a, in a curious way. Sometimes just even just the, the, the turn of the light in the, in the early evening. Um, everything suggests something else. There's something perpetually suggestive about, about the smallest thing in Africa as well as the, 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 big, the, big, the big events of, of, of history. So that inclines you, but it's just that it takes a it takes a while to actually begin to beat these inclinations into the careful, detailed work that that poetry truly is. Has it shaped your voice though? On what you bring to it and what you offer, has that tradition, that energy, that sense of magic? within the stories has that shaped your own voice it's it's i think it's one of the elements but but one must be very honest and say that very many incalculable elements goes into the shaping of one's voice and actually the discovery uh, and the shaping of one's voice is a is a is this one of those great acts of alchemy that Mm. no critic or no tradition has yet fully analyzed i would say um in complete honesty, that the individual writer discovers either through a miraculous moment of, of revelation or through the painful, slow, trudging journey of failure and continuing progress and failure and progress. One of these two routes is the individual person, the individual writer, who makes the tremendous effort that eventually yields it in discovery of, of, of his or her voice. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that a, a place doesn't give you your voice. Ireland didn't give Joyce his voice. Joyce had to, through great work, great effort, with Ireland and all its richness and all its history and all its troubles, with all of that as one of the elements, found his voice. So, it's, so, so I, while I don't want to detract from mm. the, the importance of where we come from in the formation of our voice, in the discovery of something unique that we can give the world, I also want to stress that it, it cannot be done if the individual themselves does not make um, the, the, the continued extraordinary effort. And how do you think success then shapes voice? You have been hugely successful. You've won a booker. You're an international name. Do you think that weighs heavy on the artist's voice, surely it has an impact in some way. Um, yeah, yes. Um, I, I I have a very distant relationship with um, the whole notion of success. To be to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not I'm not in denial about it, but I just I don't give it the importance that other 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 people do. I, I define success completely differently. Uh, for me, success is you know continuing to walk your own road. Uh, there's a lovely line in a Seamus Heaney poem where he has this line about you know practice your art. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's for me, the, the real success is in the face of all the hundreds and hundreds of distractions and discouragements and neg- negativity and the problems of life and society and just all the troubles of being human, that in spite of all of that, to go on practicing one's art, to go on walking one's road up that slow, long hill, um, that for me is the real success. To, to, to write a line of prose or to a line uh, of, of verse um, um, a day um, that gives me some measure of satisfaction, never complete measure of satisfaction, some. That for me is success, to continue the struggle of, of being human, 
um, not being untrue to um, the deeper things I feel to you know have the courage to love and have the courage to smile and laugh and and just and to, to be oneself in, in 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 one's own mysterious way that for me is success but to answer your question does success um, help your voice I don't know that it does really um, I, I think you must you must find your own confidence first you, to wait for success to give you your confidence is madness because if if success gives you your confidence then the first failure will take it away from you the first attack of critics the first bunch of people who don't who don't like what you're doing you're finished you're destroyed you have to earn your confidence in yourself and in your craft you have to earn the confidence to keep going in the dark you have to earn the confidence to keep going when people think what you're doing is complete rubbish you have to earn the confidence to keep going when people think that what you're doing is completely wonderful these things are completely relative what people think wonderful in one period may turn out to be completely rubbish in another um, i advise fellow writers and fellow artists to pay no particular attention to the external definition of the value of one's work in some way ben does that make you an outsider does that separate you from life in one way. I used to think that it does. I used to think when I was much younger that um, the, 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 the deeper you go on this artistic journey, the more outside um, all of the stuff of, of life and society that you find yourself. But um, actually, um, as I've got older and learned deep, the deeper nature of my craft and thought a lot more about people and thrown myself into an engagement with the human story, as I've just continued on my journey, I actually think actually the opposite is true. I think uh, the, the, the the deeper your journey, the more of an insider you become. Not an insider in the way we think about an elite or a clique uh, like that. No, I mean an insider in terms of being more inside of life, more inside of the current and the stuff and the mess of life. You 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 become a deep digger. You become a, a wader in the muddy stream of things because um, in a way the, the, the man or woman and, and the artist have to continually come together. They can't, you can't, you can't, you can't be two divided separate streams so the more they come together to function in the dual business of living and 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 writing the more you find it necessary to plunge in to the big fabulous mess that is life and is that not restful maturity ben is that not from experiencing life and life's challenges and the conflicts in life and the pains in life as well as the tremendous choice? Um, I, I, I think it is, but I think it's also a conscious choice that you make. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think you can, this is a choice that I've made. You could choose to continue to feel like an outsider till you become out, outside of everything, including yourself. You, you have to understand using the word outsider and insider mm-hmm. very, very differently mm-hmm. here. Um, for me, insider is living inside of the stuff of life mm-hmm. and an outsider is living outside of it, external to it, separate mm-hmm. from it. It's very different from from Camus' um, existential idea of the outsider. And yes, it is got to do with um, uh, maturity a bit, but how many of us really truly mature? I don't think getting older makes us is guaranteed to make us any more mature. The, the addition of years doesn't imply an addition of thought, uh, to be quite honest with you. I think thought is something that we have to take time to do, and we have to do it every day. We, we can't assume that the thought that we thought yesterday is uh, adequate thought for today. It's, a, it's an ongoing business that, 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 that drains you as you travel the long road, but but that's the whole point of it. We should leave on the road that we've travelled the, the, the sign of the strain and the magic of our having been there. And part of the choices that we make, Ben, are to hang in there, to participate in whatever way we can. I know you're involved in a, a very prominent mental health charity. Well, it's, um, <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing talking about it, actually. Because um, uh, many years ago, um, 1999, I wrote a poem, an epic poem called Mental Fight, which was um, a kind of meditation on the human 
human the human condition in the new millennium uh, and the kind of choices and directions that we, we can take. It's just a, I just had this meditation in poetry and it was really it came out. It was really just to my surprise very well received by people. And um, a wonderful lady um, read this poem. She she'd been going through mental health difficulties. She, she read this poem and was very very inspired by it and decided to set up a, a club called the Mental Fight Club. And she she had two great inspiration as, as she tells it and one was The Mental Fight my, my, my book of poems and, and, and William Blake and they asked me to be a, a, a patron um, and I'm one of the patrons along with the more um, f- fantastical patrons like St. George and William Blake and I attend their events and I am very very keen to continue supporting it because um, uh, mental health is an important issue of our, of our times and we, we don't have proper understanding of it we're not terribly sympathetic about it we're a little bit scared of it but it is something that is there constantly in, in the midst of us um, and, I, I, and I think it's, it's a 